0: Is Jeff, look at yeah, that this beautiful, a beautiful, a beautiful week. Like the spirit of me. the season is upon us. The spirit of a quarterback controversy is upon us. The spirit of a six-year season that we're all getting excited about, but we still think there are a few question marks that remain about if this team is a real contender still remain. It's a great day. It's a great day for crossing broad acquired in a deal, a multi-million dollar acquisition by XL media. And one of the biggest beneficiaries of that deal is none other than Kevin Kincaid, who you can find on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. <laughs> Not John Kincaid. Kevin Kincaid. Not Kevin, John
1: Kincaid. How does yeah. it
0: feel to be a member of a massive deal? Listen, the deal doesn't get done without the great content that's put out on CrossingBroad.com every day, and uh, we all know
1: you're the machine. now nah, you're too kind, man. I appreciate that. Obviously, it was a a uh, big day for everybody at uh, CBWG. And uh, Kyle obviously worked his butt off over the last couple of years to, uh, you know, redo our business model and uh, get us going with the sports betting and the, the affiliate marketing and all that stuff. And uh, uh, it, it paid off. You know, there was uh, obviously people noticed that Kyle disappeared for a long time and kind of went into his whole of business development and working on that side of it and kind of in, entrusted me with the with the uh day-to-day of the website and i appreciate people uh sticking with us you know and reading the site and uh clicking on the links and whatnot and that's resulted in uh us getting a very nice deal with uh, xl media and we're very happy to start with them I and our, our gift to you is that we're going to try to do a, a podcast on a regular basis here because i think we've only done we've been so busy and, and so much stuff going on like it's just been hard to to do any kind of uh you know, cons- consistency with the podcast. So our, our gift to you in 2021 is that we'll, we will try to get this back to a somewhat, uh, somewhat regular occurrence.
0: I mean, of course, everybody knows, well, uh, those in the know know that uh, Excel Media looked at it and they said, listen, I mean, it's great that you can draw revenue. It's great that you have all of these high-ranking SEO sites uh, and pages uh, related to sports betting in the United States of America. But really, the crown jewel is the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. And so while, <laughs> yeah. while that was a hard yes. a hard thing to, uh, to include, I'm sure, for Kyle, uh, it, it all worked out in the
1: end. Well, they saw an opportunity because they saw a, a looming quarterback controversy mm. uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles, and I think they saw us as uh, being scalable in terms of how much uh, how much Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz talk there can be. And obviously there was a, an opportunity there. Uh, well they saw it
0: coming because the the uk is five hours ahead of us so they saw the future
1: they knew they uh... knew this was going to happen they knew we were going to get into jalen hurts and uh carson wentz kind of thing the question for you russ is did you think that we would be here at this point in time on december 21st 2020
0: well i don't know um I think the the second that Howie Roseman decided to institute yet another bit of institutional arrogance and take a quarterback in the second round of the draft and play head games with his uh, franchise quarterback who they extended a year ahead of time, who they doled out a uh, – how many figures did that be? A nine-figure contract out. Uh, at some point, it just kind of stood to reason that we would be in this kind of situation, right? Nick Foles is – you know, tearing it up in Chicago for a bit, then he gets hurt, and it's almost as if the football gods said, all right, we need to have somebody for Eagles fans to say, well, what if it were this guy playing quarterback yeah, and since yeah, Nick yeah. Foles was down? It had to be Jalen Hurts. I have to say, as much as I think Howie Roseman does an absolutely god-awful job as a GM evaluating talent, he can't draft for crap, hasn't drafted a Pro Bowler in, what, six or seven years, the fact that somehow he, he or somebody – whether it's the scouts, whether it was somebody on the coaching staff, whether it was uh, other members of the front office, perhaps even John Dorsey, who unbeknownst to everyone else had been Mm -hmm. consulting with the team for months. Mm -hmm. They, they find a guy who to this point has been nothing but impressive, has not been asked to do anything outside of his comfort zone necessarily, but a guy who looks like at, at worst, a competent NFL quarterback and who's put in two really solid performances in a row when he's been informed that he's going to be the starter
1: entering the game. Well, so it's I'm interesting. About you? Are you, are you surprised? I'm uh well, I'm kind of, su- no, 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 I guess I'm not surprised because I think we saw that it would come to this point at some point in time, because when they drafted Jalen Hurts, we knew that they put themselves into a catch 22, where you, you were either going to use a second round draft pick on a quarterback who was going to sit on the bench, or you would have your, your, uh, recently extended franchise quarterback, 128 million dollars sitting on the bench, so they were going to screw themselves into some kind of situation one way or another. You know, it's interesting to look back at some of the revisionist history now and say, "Well, are people going to apologize and say that they were right, uh, or, or they were they were wrong to criticize the Jalen Hurts draft pick?" No, no, people aren't going to say that because it was a ter- it was a terrible pick, not not because of Jalen Hurts himself in a vacuum, you know, it was a terrible pick because you have to loop in the situation with Carson Wentz. Like, I don't think those two things are, are separable, you know, like, you, like Jalen Hurts draft pick and Carson Wentz contract. You can't separate those two things and put them each in a vacuum and evaluate them individually because the reason why the Hurts pick was questionable at the time is because you just extended your franchise quarterback. So you knew that you were painting yourself into a corner here, right? They just, If the Eagles, the Jalen Hurts may very well go on to be a franchise quarterback and, play many years in the NFL, and he would be a great draft pick in a vacuum, but it doesn't change the fact that you went out and used a second round draft pick on a quarterback when you just extended your other guy. You know, that's why there's no, that's why I can't get down with any kind of revisionist history here, because it just doesn't follow logic. You have to take all of that and package it into one thing, and you have to look at the macro level QB situation as it was. You know, which I think is a little bit, it's a shame for both guys, really, because, you know, Carson now had a, had a dude looking, he had to look over his shoulder after just getting out of Nick Foles' shadow in 2019. Jalen Hurts is always going to, you know, he kind of had a, a raw deal, too, where he, he was drafted into a, a not great situation either. So it, it's taken some of the luster, I think, off of how good he's looked on the field, which is which is amazing. I think he's looked fantastic.
0: You know what bothers me about that statement, though, is that it's accurate and it's also worrisome. If you know that you have just had an organization make a hundred plus million dollar commitment to you on a deal that has so much money committed to you via signing bonus, that if the team were to cut you, that it would count 60 million in dead money against the cap. Mm -hmm. They've made that much of an borderline outrageous uh, showing of faith in you as a quarterback, a second round draft pick should not be a thing that you look over your shoulder for that should be okay. They are looking to fortify the position because in fairness, I haven't been able to finish out every season of my career in Mm -hmm. fairness. They have to do what's best for their organization and not just me as one player. I might be theoretically the most important player, the starting quarterback, but an organization still has to do things to address needs and to address what is best for them in the event of an injury. You know, Carson Wentz hadn't built up enough equity, I think, in this situation where he should theoretically have the right to be upset or offended that they spent a second-round pick on a quarterback. Brett Favre had the right to be upset when his heir apparent Aaron Rodgers was taken. Mm -hmm. right? Drew Brees, in theory, could be upset when a potential replacement is drafted. Tom Brady had the right to be upset when, what was it, Ryan Mallett, was selected theoretically as an heir apparent.
1: Well, Jimmy has yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, Carson yeah. Wentz hasn't done enough in this league to have that kind of equity or to have that kind of a, I, I don't know, a position to, to feel as though he's been unfairly treated. And again, this isn't something that we know directly from Carson Wentz. I don't expect the founder of the Alpha Omega One Foundation to come out and start ripping... Howie Roseman and Jeffrey yeah. Lurie's organization apart yeah, limb from yeah, yeah. limb. But if, if this is the second time now that it, the, the idea that the backup quarterback, it has enough chutzpah or has enough, I don't know, stock within an organization that it makes the starting quarterback uneasy. And that takes him or takes his, his eye off the prize, takes his mind off the game. That says a lot more about the guy between the ears than the physical tools that we've seen him put on display over the course of his career that to me is the real concern
1: yeah yeah i mean and i would agree with that take i don't think that that take is wrong and i hear that from a lot of people but i would also say that more than one thing can be true at the same time and i think he would also be justified in being annoyed that they didn't use the second round draft pick on somebody who can help him or help his case you know i think because if when you when you look at the the entirety of the draft the first round we think they probably reached for a receiver. The second round, they went with a backup quarterback. The third round, they went with a project linebacker. And the fourth round, they went for a safety. So what did they really do to help Carson Wentz? You know, they got him a first-round receiver, and they may have missed on that. Well, I shouldn't say they missed on Jalen Rager, but it's obviously that Justin Jefferson and other guys right now are, are better. So – um, I think that I think that both of those things can be true. I think that Carson needs to just buckle down and say, "Look, I, I mentally I just got to get with it, and, and I need to be okay with this. It is what it is." They value the backup quarterback position because they value the backup quarterback position. That's why they won the first Super Bowl in franchise history because they gave five million dollars to Nick Foles and they invested in that. Um, but he he has the legitimate gripe in, in saying, "Well, you you know you went out and like we're supposed to get me reinforcements coming off a year where I was throwing to practice round, dude, pra- practice squad dudes." uh while winning four games in a row to to claim the division and go to the playoffs and I think that kind of links into the Adam Schefter nothing burger story that everybody was going crazy with on Sunday because it's like you know, he comes out and says Carson Wentz wasn't happy with the way that things went down and uh you know he might seek to go elsewhere if Jalen Hurts is the quarterback in 2021 yeah well no shit dude like of course the quarterback is going to be upset if um you know, he's benched and he's not playing. I, that We would expect that from anybody. I think we'd be more surprised if somebody took their benching in stride and, and uh, was okay with it. That would tell us more about what kind of competitor they are or they aren't. So I, I do I do agree with you with that take. I just feel like there's kind of like a, a little bit of a, a retroactive pile on now um, going on with Carson Wentz because, you know, you got like Ryan Clark and guys coming out saying that he's soft and then he's like not a Philly dude and stuff like that. And like I think we're just getting like a, li- a little bit – overboard with this just based on recency bias and the fact that Jalen Hurts is playing really well in the last in his first two games and people are just really down on Carson in general. Well, I think part of it too,
0: is like, you, you think about the, the long-term ramifications of a deal and you think about like when teams are really at their best, when teams are at their most competitive and how do you build a winning team that can sustain a winning culture for say three, four, five years. And, and pretty much the consensus has always been your best window to win is when your franchise quarterback doesn't count a ton against your cap. And once you get to a point where they hit that first big contract, that's where you start to see an issue with trying to uh, assemble the appropriate tools around them to be successful. And like, if you take a look at what Jalen Hurts is going to count against the cap going forward here, it's obviously peanuts compared to Carson Wentz. So like, if the idea here is that fans are at a spot where they feel confident enough in, um, you know, going forward with Jalen Hurts, just from the standpoint that like, look, if you get all this money, this Carson Wentz money off the books. If you're able to get uh, a team like, I don't know, the New York Jets who decided to go out and win a freaking game when they should be doing everything in their power to tank, I don't know, do, do the Jets sit back and say, you know what, that's not, that kind of established quarterback is not what we need. We're gonna try to tank another season. I don't know, do they say it? Perhaps. Do the people like me who are Frank Reich truthers, do they sit back and say, you know what? I bet you he really wants to go back out and and roll the dice on another season of Philip Rivers. I don't know. Philip Rivers has had a good season, but that's not a long-term, uh, a long-term sustainable idea. Does yeah. he want to go with Jacoby Brissett? No, Jacoby Brissett, while a, a solid enough quarterback, a solid enough backup, that's not a guy that's going to win you a championship. If you're Frank Reich and you believe that you can reach this quarterback and bring him back somewhere to the MVP form they had in 17. Well then cool. You know, I think it's, it's fair if fans like sit back and say, we're not comfortable with the amount of money that's being given to Wentz given how the team looked and how the, the weapons quote unquote around him looked mm-hmm. relative to like how more or less the same cast has looked with Jalen Hurts. And I guess like, let me add one other thing onto that. Mm-hmm. I think this season has done a great job in showing one of the places that I've railed against Howie Roseman on for a few years, which is an inability to build a cohesive offensive line and to draft appropriate replacements, appropriate depth pieces that could keep the offense afloat. He hasn't
1: done a good job at that. have also I'm laughing, seen that Carson- I'm laughing because I feel like a Jason Peters uh, take is coming up, is about to No, come here.
0: I'm not even going to bring him up. I'm not going to bring up the fact that if Jason Peters were anybody else's bodyguard, he would have been fired the second he showed up. No, I'm not bringing that up. I'm just saying that, like, if the if the line has been bad and and the other thing that I think we've seen is that Carson Wentz, while he still has a, a bit of mobility, he's nowhere near the same guy. A knee injury can do that to you. I don't see the same mobility. Um Uh, like maybe I would say like plus mobility. It's certainly not like plus plus. If we were going to say like Jalen hurts has plus plus mobility. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen that like Wentz has lost a step that is to be expected after a, a, a bad knee injury and a guy who would probably prefer to stay in the pocket. If you have a bad line, Having a mobile quarterback who can make the best of that situation, you're seeing what happens. Russell Wilson pretty much runs for his life every game and has done so for years. Yeah. And you see how it works for him. And I'm not trying to compare Jalen Hurts to Russell Wilson. But if you look at these guys in terms of stature, in terms of their accuracy on the rollout, and just the overall kind of confidence, there are similarities. He doesn't have the cannon. At least as of now, we have not seen Jalen Hurts uh, unleash a cannon like Russell Wilson. But in fairness, only two or three guys in the league have anything even
1: remotely comparable. So yeah, Jalen's I, I'm not deep, saying deep that they're, they're little... even
0: remotely the same.
1: Yeah, and I was just going to say his deep ball is a little floaty. Um, you see that one, Did Jalen Rager in the end zone on, on yesterday, Sunday, would kind of just hung up there a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Not a lot of tape of deep balls in college. I mean, I, I got I was. Uh, I had the experience of watching him in person, the privilege of watching him in person. I put 55 points on my team. But, uh, you know, in the Big 12 and with Alabama, with the talent he had, it was just so hard to kind of get a feel for his NFL uh, prospects because they're just running over everybody with, um, you know, exquisite talent, right? I, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I guess we're probably in agreement that the best case scenario moving forward here is that Jalen Hurts is the guy. And they can work out an indie trade with Carson, right? Is that where your head's at? Like, I just, I just feel like, I, no, I,
0: I honestly, no, I think their best scenario, in all honesty, the thing that would, would behoove them is if Carson Wentz were able to return to MVP form and you were able to take Jalen well, Hurts and, and trade him off for a high pick or two. That I think is like it for this organization is probably their best case scenario.
1: Well, Well, that, I that would, that would be quite the, um, Turnaround and quite the talker uh in the Philadelphia sports media on sports radio. I don't. I can't see that <laughs> that happening at this point. Maybe maybe it's just recency bias on my part. The fact that the idea of now trading Jalen Hurts for picks and keeping Carson Wentz. I mean, some people would go apoplectic if that was the thing. But I guess would, we, but so, you, so, i would. so if you mean, make the
0: ruling that you don't think that Jalen Hurts is as good as he's shown to be in these two games, or if yeah. you think that his ceiling is only seventy percent of what Carson Wentz's could be if he returns to form, then as an organization, you make that. You make that choice, and you sell high. Again, well, let me we saw ask the question. With, we saw this with Matt Castle, right? We saw this with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, like you, you can sell a young, uh, young quarterback for sufficient no, good, assets good in point. the draft. And yeah. the best way to retool around an expensive quarterback and an expensive team is with young, cheap draft picks.
1: That's a good point. Um, I would phrase, I would rephrase the question this way. Then I would say, are we? Uh, uh, how would I say it? Are we in agreement? that you can't have jalen hurts and carson wentz on the same eagles team next year like we don't think uh, that going into the, i mean it, it, really is it feasible for them to go into 2021 with carson wentz as the starter and jalen hurts on the bench
0: it's the most likely scenario right now
1: it just doesn't feel tenable to me i don't know it's hard for me to get a read obviously on what's going on inside there because we're not inside nova care but i mean with all the noise and all the bullshit that can consistently comes out in the media and Adam Shafter and Justina you know, Anderson and all this other nonsense. It just makes it seem like it's like I don't know. I just feel like I feel like the biggest thing for Carson is a change of scenery. I don't know. I just get this feeling that like there's just, he's not gonna refine. I think he can get back to that form. I don't think he can get back to it here. Like it feels like the ship has kind of sailed. You, know, you got guys like Big Bet Bob and investor Mike who are so anti Wentz and so anti But it's like. I just feel like some people are never like gonna come back around to him ever. And even if he does come out and he's with the Eagles next year and he plays well, they won't get, they'll bend over backwards, not to give him any credit for it. I mean, we were going through this last year, you know, and we were doing the show on 610. You know, as you could, the, the splintering and the, the fracturing of the Wentz and Foles people, they just transferred itself to kind of like Wentz and Hurts. You know, people were off the bandwagon for a long time. So I don't know how you get those people back on. I feel like if you bring Carson Wentz back, some people are just going to like roll their eyes and be ready to be done with it. But that doesn't make me, if that was the case, it wouldn't make me feel anybody better about Jalen hurts being a long-term guy. Cause I haven't, I haven't seen enough from him, you know, two good games. I mean, that's not a large enough sample size.
0: Well, I think that's part of the problem though. Right? Like the people who have, uh, you could go with like the idea of a guy needs a change of scenery just because there's no way to have him set up for success. Like, Anthony and I talk about this all the time. Snow the goalie with Shane Goss' right? Like in theory, you have a guy who has high upside as an offensive defenseman, but like at some point you were you wonder, and maybe you worry that it's going to be an insurmountable hill for a guy to, to, to overcome that. Like there are enough bad experiences or enough bad juju going around off the ice or off the field that like the mental hurdles that you have to try to, to conquer aren't, aren't something that are feasible. And really, maybe aren't something that you should have to. If you had a change of scenery, you're starting fresh, and there are no preconceived notions. There are no ill will held between the coaching staff or the front office or the fans with the player. I do, I do worry that if he were to move on from Carson Wentz and he were to go to a Frank Reich in Indianapolis. And that if he were to rediscover his MVP form or something close to it, say even like 85% of that guy and you have Jalen hurts and you've now tied the entire organization to him. And then he ends up proving to be, I don't know, 60% of what Carson Wentz could be. You're going to look absolutely moronic. You're going to look like a team that held out hope for the prototypical uh, franchise quarterback. You had it and you ended up, caving and you ended up giving into public pressure and you moved on from that guy. And then you kind of go back on that quarterback carousel. I I don't know. I mean, if I, if, if it were me, if it were my, my decision, like I I don't know which way you go, but if, if as a coaching staff, like part of here's the other issue and I'll throw this back to you Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, I think we would have been in agreement that at least two of three between Carson, Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman had to go. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I would still get it. Given,
0: given given what we've seen now, if Jalen Hurts continues to play well, that almost vindicates uh, Howie Roseman. The report had already come out that Jeffrey O'Leary will not move on from Howie no, Roseman. No,
1: no, no. So, no, the Jalen just because they stumbled ass backwards into Jalen Hurts being a good player, it doesn't mean that they didn't, it doesn't remedy the fact, it doesn't change the fact that they messed up the macro level quarterback situation. Like, so what? Like you, you. It's. I don't know. It's like, okay, so you successfully – you made a bad bet, you know, pregame, and then you successfully hedged yourself into losing, like, $2 instead of $25. Does that mean that your hedge was a good bet? Well, I mean, yeah, but when you look at it in totality, it's still stupid, you know? I got That's that's what I was saying at the beginning. I don't want to, like – because I think, like, Joe DiCamera went on Twitter – Last night, and I think Joe does a good job at WIP. I don't think he's really like a taker, like some of the, some of the other people in this town. But he's saying, "Well, like, are people ready to admit they were wrong about Jalen Hurts? Well, wrong about what? Wrong about what? It wasn't dumb. the pick, The pick wasn't dumb because they picked Jalen Hurts again. It was never the criticism was never about Jalen Hurts himself. It was that they had just given 128 million to the franchise quarterback. It it's the an fact inability that they were to not-
0: separate the player from the situation.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I think people are just having trouble. Kind of, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. They have trouble kind of compartmentalizing that. You know what I mean? They want again. It's like the vacuum. We'll call this like the vacuum podcast or something. They want to put the Jalen Hurts pick in a in a va- in a vacuum, but you you can't. It it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Nothing ever does really. So it's um, not a Hoover. It's not I,
0: a Dirt Devil. It's the vacuum of space.
1: It's the shark um, cordless. That's the one we have. It's kind of like a life changer. Uh, well, listen, you need a giant m- vacuum for the quarterback factory. So yeah, it is a quarterback factory. Well, let me ask you this. Let me, let me transition out of it by asking you this. Uh, Aqib Tlaib, um, were you so <laughs> shit? There's a lot of talk about his uh, color commentary last night. Were you pro um, Akib or anti? Um. I initially
0: was confused because I had the volume really low. And then when I turned it back up, I was like, wait a second, what do we have here? This is different, right? And Mm -hmm. different is inherently wrong to some people. And you saw it on the timeline. And I saw people who responded to you and I saw people who were writing about it on Facebook and on Twitter about how this guy sounds uneducated. Why does he sound uneducated? Because he Uh doesn't fit the mold of your standard color commentator. Does that make him wrong? No. It might not be your style, but in fairness, American football color commentators are more or less cookie cutter. It wasn't that long ago that yeah. Tony Romo was getting shredded by traditionalists who said that he had no place being in that booth doing what he was doing because he was telling you what the play was going to be ahead of time. Yeah, now shot. he's lauded for it. You know, we don't see the same kind of variety in American football color commentators, as we say would say with like, say soccer announcers, like, this will hit a very small sliver of our audience. But the difference between somebody like um uh Higginbotham, who is now brought in versus Tommy Smith or versus Ray Hudson. Ray mm-hmm. Hudson's like a very over-the-top. If you're like a pro wrestling fan, you can think of him as like Jerry the King Lawler.
1: Very flamboyant.
0: Right? Yeah. Very flamboyant, very over the top, very eccentric, tries to get you, tries to bring you into the emotional appeal of the game that you love. Versus like, I don't know, we can go with um uh, Excalibur from uh, AEW, who has the passion, but is also, no, Mike Tanay. I'm going to go Mike Tanay. Let's go back to WCW days. AEW. Somebody, who's somebody who's well-versed, somebody who knows the history of what they're watching, who has a uh, a great frame of reference to pull from and can educate you as a viewer. All right. Those are two very different things. It doesn't make one right and it doesn't make one wrong. It just means that it's different. So like I first heard a to leave, I was like, okay, this is different. I'm waiting, and then as a, as the game went on, it was just really clear that this is a guy who knows what he's doing
1: who oh, here's is, a guy.
0: who's calling out defensive coverages, uh, who I saw a couple of people actually complain that he didn't explain what they were. and then furthermore, is like well the other guy would prompt him the other watching, the, yeah, which yeah. is like watching the game with somebody that you like would be at a bar with, and he's just like talking to you like like your friends. Like you're watching the game together and he's giving you that next level knowledge yeah, beyond dude. what some color commentators would. So I actually, I, I i walked away from it saying, this is fine. We How many bad Fox crews have we sat through over the last two years where it's just cookie cutter crap?
1: Well, and they're, they're it's fine. Yeah. They're bored and they're really snoozy and they're just going through the motions and collecting the paycheck. And they don't really seem to be interested in the game. You know, Tlaib was enthusiastic and energetic and like, he seemed like he wanted to be there, you know? And, like, I think uh, a lot of the broadcasters that we really, really like, and this goes more, I think, for play-by-play guys than color commentators because the, the job of the color commentators is to explain what's going on on the field or on the court or whatever and, and add, as, as, the name, as the namesake is, add color to the broadcast and tell me, hey, this guy's running a five route, this guy's running a seven route, you know, they're in man here, they're in zone here, you know, tell me something I don't know. Um, but you also look to, like, guys like Kevin Harlan and Gus Johnson, And Ray Hudson, they all have this ability to kind of make you feel invested in what you're watching because they're excited and you feel their energy and their excitement to it. It makes you feel excited at the same time. It was just refreshing to hear him like seem like a guy who likes football and wants to talk about football is excited and enthusiastic about it. And look, all the complaints that everybody had are things that you can coach and things that you can teach. Okay, so his delivery is not polished. Right. He's going to work on his enunciation. You know, he's going to stop using the crutch word man. Right. He said man about 400 times in that. Right. And uh, that's all stuff where like, look, these guys are not professional broadcasters. They're making a hard, sharp transition from playing football to talking about football in front of an audience of millions of people. Like that's that's really hard, dude. It's not easy. It's really hard so all that stuff can be coached they can sit down and look at film we can sit down with network executives and talent people and say hey let's work on this we like this we don't like this let's get you polished up and they'll they'll be good at it i mean think about like locally in this market who do we have we have john ritchie we have ike reese Trey thomas ron jaworski does some radio for the fanatic had the the ron jaworski show going like these guys when they got out of their playing days and they switched to become broadcasters okay were they like of virtuosos of linguistics they weren't rushed that away they didn't close. know five five languages like you do you know but that's the, the the point it's like they're not there for their mastery of the english language they're there for their practical experience playing football that's stuff that you can you can have a broadcaster sit there and watch film 24 hours a day seven days a week for 10 years he's never going to have the credibility of talib or ike reese or john Richie or any of those dudes who are in the locker room and played the game so everything that people were complaining about um you know i think is coachable and it's fixable you know you don't have that what you can't teach is the innate enthusiasm excitement and experience and like look let's not beat around the bush here obviously a black guy from cleveland is going to talk a little bit differently than a white dude from of uh, potsdam right so mm-hmm. but the di- dialect is a thing that that goes far beyond socio racial um, lines anyway you know and like the example that i used in this column that i wrote this morning was like Yeah, I I worked with when I lived in Georgia, I worked with a lot of like white uh, TV anchors who were kind of wrestling with the fact, like, should I keep my southern accent or should I get rid of it? Yeah, because there was this this idea that like you could move up in broadcasting and move up in the the industry if you had a more palatable kind of like regular northern tone or whatever. So that's not a black and white thing necessarily, but linguistics and dialect and vernacular are their own kind of separate topic. But um, no, I mean, I thought it was fine. I thought I thought, thought he got better. As, as the game went on, too. So I thought it was going to be a rough. Uh, I, I thought it was rough going there for a couple of minutes, but I think he settled in pretty well. And I thought it was something different. So I enjoyed it.
0: Yep, yeah, I agree.
1: Um, so what something, do you...
0: something else that's different is yes. uh, your team, your town, your Philadelphia 76ers. Yes. Uh, we've gotten a, a bunch of tweets recently asking, are we going to do a Sixers pod at some point? Well, friends, let's
1: consider this a Sixers pod. Like, like a specific one for the network, or no, just no, no. I think they just meant
0: like, are we going to do a crossing broadcast where we talk about your team, your town, in Philadelphia 76. Well, it'll be
1: heavy, that yeah, I mean, if we can get this thing going, we can do like one a week. I think, well, you know, obviously moving forward, it's going to be a lot of that. For Why sure. one a week?
0: Why aren't we doing two, three, four post games? Not,
1: not three, not the four. press row show.
0: The Press Row Show Sixers Edition. Uh, the critically,
1: uh, the critically acclaimed. Uh, well, listen, if we did the Press Row Show at the Sixers, it would be me sitting at a table by myself because I went down there for the preseason game last week. And today's Monday, last Tuesday was the, the one preseason game, and uh, you know, so they have the media kind of spaced out at individual tables, and we're in the lower bowl. Uh, obviously, there's no fans there, but the music is still blaring. They got the uh, jumbotron going, and everything's coming across on the speakers the same way it would. Uh, when fans weren't there but uh, so they tried to replicate incredibly them. jarring by the way to people who have not experienced the uh the
0: echoing and the reverberation of the sound bouncing around yeah. right an empty arena it was it really is, it was really it's incredibly did jarring
1: what it, did it people were saying that it sounded really loud on tv were you guys did you watch the first preseason game like did yeah, you I mean, hear I thought how, it, how loud it sounded on them i thought
0: it seemed loud but you know what's interesting is i think you know it's it's all about tricking your mind right and seeing the way that the sixers had the the lower seats tarped uh, opposite of hard camera side mm-hmm. made it almost feel like a normal game. I didn't actually feel you know it, yeah it, it's interesting because like these these leagues and these teams have had enough time now they've had months to study what comes across well and what doesn't when the artificial crowd noise works and when it doesn't right I think just something about the optics of seeing the familiar um, scale of the court, and the the um, the depth perception that comes along with that yes. made it feel a lot more normal.
1: Well, and Doc uh, and Brad certainly better Stevens than both the, said,
0: than the ESPN spaceship.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and to your point, Doc Rivers and Brad Stevens both said the same thing after the game that they felt it, it felt more, uh, you know, it, it felt more organic. And it was it was what they were used to playing in the bigger arenas versus, you know, the smaller uh spot down in Orlando with the virtual, um, crowd and stuff like that. There's just a familiarity with it, you know, and they're going to try to replicate that as much as they can throughout the season. It was really damn loud though. Like my hand was on the mouse and it was shaking and my computer was vibrating at the same time. Maybe it sounded louder because there's nobody in there and it was like cavernous and reverberating, but, uh, no, the point to get back to the point, if we did the press row show, it would just be me sitting there by myself with a mask on. It probably wouldn't be very interesting. But, like, general thoughts on the team, I don't know. It feels like we're just rushing right into the regular season. But I think, like, the overarching thing that I have with the Sixers team right now is that it feels very similar to the 2017 team. Okay, so you, you've surrounded Ben and Joel with shooters. Think of Seth Curry kind of as a J.J. Redick replacement. Uh, Tobias Harris goes down and plays, like, Dario's role as a stretch four. And then, and then you have, like, a three and D dude um in there as well but it's like in in danny green but I, I still like i don't know i i i i'm not sure who the closer is on this team uh ben simmons so far has looked like the same exact player that he was last year and the year before and um i don't know i just get a lot of vibes from that 2017 2018 team that won 53 games but kind of just didn't have the playoff experience weren't really built for the playoffs and um i don't know it's still, it's still the biggest question is always going to be you know how, how much has uh, Joel Embiid and ben and ben simmons improved
0: it's interesting because I, I think if we go back and, and listen to a show from a year ago or, or even going back a little bit further, the, the issue that I think the city ran into with Joel and Ben is that their their floor was initially higher than most of uh, the rest of the league at their age. And so when you start with a high floor, it's really hard to see a guy getting to what you would then expect the same trajectory to lead you to this ridiculous ceiling. this like all NBA ceiling and. I think I said like a year ago, we have to kind of come to terms with the fact that like these guys might not get that much better. And that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world because in theory, like when healthy, when not sick with random gastroenteritis, when, when feeling good and healthy and like in the best shape of his life for the 40th time, Joel Embiid shows up ready to play. Like he's a top seven player in the league. If Ben Simmons right now is a top 20 ish player. If he adds a jump shot, he's easily into the top 10 If neither of those things happen, the Sixers have no chance of contending in the Eastern Conference or for the NBA title. If over the course of a season, Ben Simmons starts to work in even a modest mid-range jump shot, which I wouldn't want him to be taking. I'd much rather just see him take corner threes and and stretch the defense a little bit. Then like, cool. Uh, It is worth pointing out that Ben, I think was in the second preseason game, took that um, that three from the wing trailing Mm -hmm. the play. Mm-hmm. took it in rhythm didn't make it i think it was front rim right but yeah the fact that he was willing to do it i mean i i'm not about giving out you know um what do they call them what what's the 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 uh, moral, moral participation victories, right? trophies oh, yeah participation okay. trophies, trophies yes. to like to a guy who's the number 1 overall pick in the draft like when he actually takes a jump shot but like <laughs> if if that's a sign of what could come if the idea of having spacing and knowing that like he doesn't have to be the guy to to somehow close the game out. If he knows that he can theoretically stretch this defense just a little bit more and it frees up Joel down low, then like the the ceiling on the team is certainly higher than it was a year ago. It's funny because like when you think about what kind of players Ben and Joel need to be successful or to be surrounded, uh, uh, to be surrounded by in order to like reach their potential, it certainly was the opposite of what last year looked like. This team right now, spacing-wise, speed-wise, doesn't look like what I expect it to look like 20 games into the season. But like for now, it's at least nice to know that you've got guys like Danny Green and Seth Curry that can shoot the ball from deep. And we no, yeah, no longer yeah. have to watch a double post-up of Joel Embiid and Al Horford.
1: No, so. well, I just think the irony nice. too. And like people like roll their eyes when I say this on Twitter, but I mean, this is the type of um, roster that Brett Brown would have had success coaching, you know, and they're going to do a lot of the same motion concepts and and handoffs and stuff like that to start out. And they're going to not call And doc rivers, isn't going to call a lot of plays until he can sort of get his stuff assimilated into the team. So I, I think people just got to be patient. Um, you know the this the Sixers team last year started out five and zero. I think everybody remembers, right? And Then we know how that turned out. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna look more like the up tempo kind of motion team that we saw with with Brett Brown at the beginning of twenty seventeen. And um, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they'll, they'll they'll start running more pick and roll. You know, Doc will put his sets in. You know, they'll start to uh, do different things with Joel and Ben. But uh, you know, they had such a crunch preseason and a uh, new coach coming in that they're it's not gonna be they're not gonna reinvent the wheel overnight. So I think like my parting message to um, Sixers fans as we begin the season is just don't, don't, I I, like, I think people should just kind of temper their expectations right off the bat. It's a good team. They're going to win a lot of games. It's not going to look like a totally different squad overnight. You're going to see a lot of similarities to 2017, 2018. You're going to see a lot of the stuff that Ben and Joel were comfortable running in Brett's system exist in Doc's system as well. And then he'll start to put his fingerprints on it and it'll start to look more like a Doc Rivers team or more more of a traditional pick and roll kind of team. But, um, you know, we'll see if, if they get down to, uh, you know, season openers 48 hours from now, if it gets, uh, gets down to the final shot of the game, I'm curious to see uh, who takes it.
0: I will say that, like, I think the thing that I'm looking the most forward to, or the thing that I, I take as like the biggest positive right now, is you have a GM who's really good at making fringe moves and filling out a roster. The James Harden rumors aren't going to go away until there is a resolution to that situation, whether that's here or that's somewhere else. So that's just going to kind of loom over the team. There's nothing you can do about it. But like, when it comes to filling out this roster and to making moves on the fly, I trust John Worry. When I take a look at the coaching staff, um you know, while some of the systems that might be installed are going to be similar to or the same as Brett Brown, I still like seeing and maybe I'm maybe it's just the way I am. But like seeing Sam Cassell on this coaching staff is a Mm -hmm. positive sign to me because he was mentioned in so many head coaching vacancies. And to me is a guy that like maybe if things go well here is a guy that Doc Rivers hands the reins off to after, I don't know, however many years, four years, five years, right? Assuming that Sam Cassell doesn't take a job somewhere else. Seeing Dave Yeager come back in uh, into the fold, a guy who like wasn't necessarily the most popular coach in Sacramento, but certainly has uh, earned enough of a of a reputation or enough clout to be worthy of being on this coaching staff. Like I, I view that as a positive, like I think overall you're going to start to see. If Ben and Joel have any kind of a uh, a room above them to reach a, a higher ceiling, if this coaching staff can't get it out of them, then I don't think it's there. Like, I think yeah, that might have been the thing the, with with Brett, you know, with Brett, where, you know, I think he got as much as he could out of these guys. If this staff well, can't gonna, get any more out, then there's nothing else.
1: And that's it. Yeah. And I agree 100 percent. And uh, that segues into like kind of the final point I have is that the NBA is such a simple thing to analyze, you know, it's like, how, how much can you get out of your stars and are your stars going to take the next step? And a lot of that is organic and it's naturally generated. And you could say, well, they stumbled into doc rivers and they, what was your term failing upwards? They failed upwards into Daryl Morey and all these dudes, but uh, yep. you know, you can surround those dudes with the best people on the planet. But um, at the end of the day, like Ben Simmons and Joel and B either have that next level or they don't, you know? And uh, yep. If they don't take that next step under Doc Rivers, I think we can safely say, OK, well, it wasn't necessarily a Brett thing. It's just that, it, uh, you know, maybe these guys weren't the players that we thought they were going to be. So this would be a good exercise in that, you know, and we'll see how the empty arenas, uh, what work out and how that affects their player, how it doesn't affect their play. But um, intriguing stuff. I just again, I think it's very similar to the 2017 team. And uh, I'm just curious to see who the closer is.
0: Maybe that closer is not on the roster. Maybe not. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, right. Well, I think uh, I think we will try to do this show more regularly, as you mentioned going forward. We're gonna try.
1: That's gonna I be mean, our our New Year's resolution to you.
0: There's a there's a lot to be encouraged by. I think. Um, obviously, we're gonna have some stuff to talk about with remaining Eagles games, the outside shot of making the postseason. We can. Fight another day on if it's better for the team to make the playoffs or not, but um, Sixers first game is this Wednesday seven o'clock against the Wizards start off the season uh, day after Christmas they've got the Knicks and then on Sunday they've got the Cavs, which means that maybe if we record next Monday we will have three games under our belts we can get a better idea of where the Sixers are. It's not exactly like the uh, Wizards, Knicks, and Cavs are world beaters by any stretch. No, they this could very be...
1: well. They could very well be three and zero, and they could be on their way to becoming world champions. Get this guy world. his trophy back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get that trophy back. Uh, we'll talk about the Phillies on another podcast. Hopefully, uh, uh, not. Hopefully, once they, well, once they figure out what the hell they're doing. Uh, Russ and Anthony have the critically acclaimed Snow the goalie podcast and if you're a soccer the only flyers podcast the only flyers podcast i have the uh award-winning it's always soccer in philadelphia as well so we're gonna try to get the crossing broad uh crossing broad podcast network all uh working in unison here and we will uh continue to churn out uh pulitzer prize winning (laughs) journal (laughs) (laughs) journal journalism on the uh on the website
0: Channel your inner Gene Simmons, why don't you? No, uh, no, just... oh, no, no, no. Thanks for listening, and oh, uh, no. we will talk to everybody next week. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid at Joy on Broad, and uh, oh. we're you know we'll be we'll be back next week.
1: We're all just having a good laugh over here.